You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Welcome into Socks in the Basement. Pull up a stool at my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. Ever since May, when we launched this little podcast from my basement on the south side of Chicago, sitting at my bar, having a couple of beers, talking White Sox baseball, two friends who grew up across the street from each other on 80th and Spalding. Dave and I have constantly said, if we could get a guy on, if we could get somebody from the team on the show, we'd want Ron Kittle. I may have gone a little far talking about how much I love Ron, but it's a good love. It's a little strange. I really didn't think he'd ever come on the show, but he's here today. Socks in the Basement is put together by The Broadcast Basement. That's what I call this, where I'm at. I do a bunch of different podcasts. I tried out a few new ones this year. We've gotten some interesting responses. The EP Podcast, that's a podcast I do just for Evergreen Park, Illinois. The locals love it. Growing up on a podcast, my kids sit down here. Seriously, they plan out an entire half-hour show, Four Kids by Kids. I don't get most of what they talk about. They pretty much talk about Fortnite. But I know a lot of adults that let their kids listen to it because it's not bad for them, and it's kids talking about kids' stuff. We even just started a brand-new show called Me and the Priest. Local Catholic priest from my area was a U.S. Marshal before he joined the priesthood and now is deployed as a Navy chaplain. And he's the only Catholic priest in the entire country that he's in right now in the Middle East, going from Ford Operating Base to Ford Operating Base. But with all of those new shows that we launched this year, Socks in the Basement has taken off the most. And it's probably because Dave and I just love the White Sox. And it's really just two guys sitting down here talking White Sox baseball, really into the rebuild, giving our opinions. But it's also because of you guys. I mean, when I sat around and started talking about how I wanted Ron Kittle on the show, I didn't think I was ever going to get him. I didn't even know if anybody was going to listen to this. And yet the numbers just keep climbing and climbing to the point where the White Sox were like, yeah, we'll get you a guest. Who do you want? And I was like, Ron Kittle. And he's here. Now. It's Socks in the Basement. The Ron Kittle Show. Found everywhere podcasts can be found and always at Socks in the Basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. You know, Dave, in my 41 plus years that I've been on this earth, all of them a White Sox fan. There's a lot of players I could have latched onto as my favorite player of all time. Frank Thomas is a Hall of Famer. There's guys that helped us win the 2005 World Series. But there was one guy I really identified with as a kid. Coke bottle glasses towering home runs, he even took pictures, like like I took pictures, his baseball cards. Sometimes they get that great Ron Kittle smile on the baseball card, and sometimes it'd be like Ron was halfway into his smile, they took the picture and they're like, next! It was pretty much like when I took a picture in the fifth grade, and sixth grade, seventh grade, pretty much any picture I ever took at school, and then my mother would be like, what were you doing? <laughs> Ron Kittle's on the phone line with us right now on Socks in the Basement. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, <laughs> Uh, you could have picked somebody else, I'm telling you, but uh, there weren't many people that wore glasses, I can tell you that. No, there weren't. You know, Ryan, I don't know if you heard at the very beginning of the show when I was talking about it, but the White Sox finally said, we're going to give you a guest, you can pick anybody you want to. And I said right away, I'd like to talk to Ron Kittle. Now, when I was a kid, I never got to meet you in person. I had an uncle that went down to spring training, and I've got a few autographed pictures on the wall that you signed way back in the 80s. 
because he was like, hey, can you sign this for my nephew probably? And you're like, what's his name? And you just sign it. But I, I never met you. I had stuff from you, but, but I never met you. When I got older, I actually bumped into you several times at the ballpark and you were always just so nice and just down to earth. Are you taken aback when you look now at your career and that time period and how many years have passed that you left such an indelible mark on my generation? That there are so many guys that are like, man, Kittle's cool. I'd love to hang out with Kittle. And then they see you at the ballpark, they feel comfortable talking to you, and you really have become a favorite of this fan base. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, I think the important thing is my dad taught me some great lessons. Uh, you know, that Dale Carnegie wrote a book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So, you know, there's a chapter in there, and it's probably the second book I ever read. Uh, it, it was taught. Treat people like you want to be treated and at least knowledge them. You know, there's not every baseball player or professional athlete is going to have a great day. I mean, you're always going to struggle with something, uh, over five, four strikeouts, whatever it is, missed free throws, lose a game. Uh, you, you got to just turn it off for a second, acknowledge the people that, uh, want to say hi to you and, uh, you know, and, and smile. I, I mean, it's not that hard if you sit there and look back at it, but, uh, I've made a lot of friends over the years, uh, just doing that and I think uh that's just part of my persona and I've I've not changed since I was a 10 year old kid it's the same Ron Kittle well I think one of the other things that was always that always got me excited I mean I'm a kid okay I think chicks and kids dig the long ball you hit (laughs) so many rooftop shots I actually was at a game where you hit a rooftop shot I remember as a child I distinctly remember it because I remember my dad going that got on the roof. I mean, it was and it was just astounding to me that somebody could do that in, in old Comiskey Park. You hit so many of them. You actually hit the last one, too, in the ballpark. I was looking at your rooftop uh, shots today. I, I thought of, like, I was like, oh, I want to ask him about this. There are guys who hit rooftop shots. Uh, I found this guide on it in, in old Comiskey. They have names like Ruth, Gehrig, Williams, Fox, Mantle, and you hit multiple ones, including the last one, which was, like, on a freezing cold night in 91, that Tom Pachorek said the most tremendous hit he's ever seen in that ballpark. What, how did you do this? You, you know, it was, uh, you know, I, hit, I finished with seven as a career. Uh, when I signed with the White Sox out of a trial camp, I hit one on the roof off Bruce Del Canton, the pitching coach. You know, and everybody kind of just stopped. And it, it was kind of a little uh, a spectacle. Young, young, strong kid, great damn long hair, uh, trying out for the White Sox. That was 1978. And I just come back from a broken neck. So you know, I wasn't thinking about hitting the ball on the roof or hit, just hit it hard and it'll go someplace. But, uh, you know, I remember that last one, uh, it, it was, it couldn't have been any colder, about 28 degrees. The wind was blowing in. I think there was only one or two fly balls to the outfield, the entire ball game. And this one is a line drive up on the roof. And, uh, you, you know, everybody was kind of shocked. It was more quiet than anything because they were surprised. And, uh, I just tried the bases. It, it wasn't planned. I just tried to hit it hard, and uh, that's where it wound up at. You just get up there and try to hit the ball hard. There's a guy right now on this White Sox team who says, I just get up there and try to hit the ball hard, and he's got quite a cult following as well by the name of Daniel Pelka. Is he must-see television for you, or or do you have other guys on this current roster that you're like, I, I really enjoy watching them, and I'm curious about what's going to happen in their career? You know, uh, Pelka's swing. I mean, he's a beast. I mean, uh, he looks like Danny Pasqua. Uh, built like him, swings like him a little bit, just a strong, you know, nobody in the league really knows who he is. So they're challenging him. And now he's beating the ball up and getting some home runs. Uh, 
you know, the times have changed from my era to, to current now, because back then when Greg Lazinski would hit a home run, and I was the next hitter. Uh, I'd get drilled in the side or in the hip. You know, you can't even throw it guys nowadays. If you do, you're paying fine $10,000 and getting kicked out of the game. So, you know, you have a lot more free swings now playing than you did back in the 80s and the early 90s. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I mean, my elbows were, there were no elbow pads. You know, I got hit in the elbow sometimes every time I, like, move my hand, uh, the chills would go down my, my arm. But you still got to go out there and try to play. Uh, could I accomplish anything? Probably not, but I still wanted to play the game. But you know, nowadays these guys have uh, shiver pads on their arms, shoulder pads. You name it, they're protected, but uh, that's what the game has turned into. There's a lot of nuances that have changed. You're right about baseball. And, and it was funny, I was looking at some of your old stats. We love to go through just the statistics of this team that's currently out there because they're in the middle of a rebuild and try to see – do we think this guy is going to get better? Do we think this guy is going to continue to catch on or improve? Or what do we see inside of the numbers? We've done that before on this show. I went back and looked at Ron Kittle's stats. Sabermetrically, you compare or are better than several of the players that people are excited about right now on this team. And, you know, you, you move from team to team a few times. Do you think if Sabermetrics was a way that people evaluated? Because there were years where you hit in the low 200s when back then somebody might have sat there and said, I don't know. That's that's. I mean, that's that's probably not as big a contributor to the team. But when you break down your numbers, you had some really hidden great years in there sabermetrically. With the way the games played today, with the three true outcome way that they they just swing for defenses, with the fact that guys aren't pitching inside as much and you can wear body armor, do you think it would have changed your career and 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 even improved it if you would have played in this kind of an era? No, ab- absolutely. Uh, you know, my second year after winning rookie of the year. Opening series, I jumped for a ball and I dislocated my shoulder and left field hitting that old picnic area. Uh, you guys were babies at the time. You probably didn't know much about that, but it had a brick ledge. And I dislocated my shoulder. I picked the ball up and I threw it in and it popped back in the joint. So, you know, I took two days off. They wound up uh, shooting me up with cortisone, probably 15, 20 shots. And I came back that year, but I, I couldn't lift my elbow to do anything. I mean, to this day, my shoulder is still hampered by that injury. Uh, and it's, it changed it. You know, I hit about 220 something, but I had 32 dingers. You know, throughout my career, uh, per at bat, I mean, Channel 5 did it a few years ago. I'm like number 23 all time on home runs per at bat. But you take away the steroid guys, I'm like uh, second or third. But, you know, the game has changed. Uh, you know, I took pride when I went to home plate. Remember our old hitting coach, Charlie Lau, uh, in the minor leagues, you know, I almost hit the triple crown every year I've ever played. And when I got to the big leagues, he said, son, I don't care if you ever hit 300, you swing as hard as you can and try to drive the ball out of the ballpark and you'll drive Mercedes and Cadillacs the rest of your life. And uh, you know, that, that's a pretty good antidote. But, you know, you, you swing according to what your team does. And these guys currently are just swinging as hard as they can. So, Ron, Dave here. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you, I know you still spend a lot of time around the White Sox organization, around the ballpark, things like that. Can you talk about your feelings uh, on the current rebuild? Like, you know, just any thoughts or feelings that you have about how it's going? And um, if you have any players that are part of this rebuild that for you are must-see TV, like when this person is at bat, or on the mound, like you stop what you're doing and, and you watch it? Well, you know, uh, 
the, the team struggled this year. I, I mean, I knew out of spring training when I was there, uh, they were going to have some issues. Uh, they're good two and a half days a week. The rest of it, they were just mediocre. Uh, one day they stunk completely, but you know, they got some two talented kids on the team. Jimmy Anderson is going to be a great shortstop. Uh, he's, uh, maturing and he's playing smarter shortstop. He's learning how to play these players in different things. Uh, Mancata, uh, he struggles to his left a little bit, but you know, when I look at him playing and swinging, he's, he's got more talent in his body than Robbie Alomar did at age 21, 22 years old. So, I mean, there's potential right there, you know, so, you know, I don't want to go out there and go on a limb and say, who's going to be good. Who's going to be bad. You got to stay healthy. Uh, you got a couple stud pitchers uh, that great have great arms. They uh, they kind of give their pitches away a little bit too much. I mean, Jolito, Jesus, there's times out there that he walks out on the mound to pitch before the first pitch, and he looks like, what am I doing out here? I mean, you got to start creating confidence in these guys and tell them that they can be good because he's got good pitches, but he throws a lot of pitches for strikes, and uh, good hitters are going to hit those strikes often. But I, I like. Them. The nucleus, uh, Ricky Renteria is uh, doing a good job making him hustle, and that's important for a team that's not going to win a lot of games. This maybe last year, or I mean this year, or possibly first half of next year, they have to go out there and prove day in and day out. Uh, that they can be competitive, and I think they will. You sound like a manager there, and it reminded me that you were a manager when you in in the minor leagues for a couple of years, weren't you? I mean, like, do you, do you ever think to yourself, it's fun being an ambassador, but I I love if they'd ask my opinion more. You know, minor league managing was my. Uh, I, I tell you what, the guys that I was the hardest on when I played, or I mean, I managed, and I mean, I was hard on them. That I still keep in touch with these kids. There's probably about ten that I really. Uh, communicate with it. I mean, I couldn't have been any harder on them, but uh, you know, I have no aspirations to be on the field. I was asked early in my career when I left to to be a coach. Uh, uh, you know, if a manager asked me as a coach to go tell this person to uh, do this, and they told me no, I would probably beat the daylights out of the guy. So uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's just part of the game. You know, it's called respect and. Uh, I watch the game uh, when I'm at the ballpark working as an ambassador, but I don't get involved in it too much because I don't want to micromanage it through the stands. And uh, and that makes me get a headache when I start thinking about these guys doing these things, hit and run, wild pitch, pitch out, whatever it is. Uh, I, I just like what I do right now. So, hey, Ron, um, you mentioned being a Sox ambassador. Um, can you talk a little bit about – what sort of things you do for the White Sox as an ambassador, or maybe possibly even any um, like interactions with fans, or maybe even any charity work you're involved in right now? Well, you know, as an ambassador, uh, Harold Baines and I would call it uh, shaking hands and kissing babies, which is kind of good. But uh, you know, we're part of the, the corporate side. Uh, we go to dinners. Uh, we smooth the investors. Uh, uh, the sponsors of the team, you know, we get the luxury to do that in spring training. Uh, even during the season, we do uh, hospital visits. Uh, you know, community relations does a big part. I do a lot of stuff with them, or I try to, from their golf tournaments, uh, visitations. Like, you know, coming up uh, later this month in October, I'll be at the White Sox are having a kiosk out there in the Portland Park Mall, and I'll be out there looking at the, you know, signing autographs for a couple hours. It's just part of the thing. But visiting kids, uh, 
bicycle hospital programs. Uh, it, 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 it's just a, a mass of different things that I can do. And I, I like doing it, and it's a lot of fun. You'd mentioned the Orland Park or the Orland Mall visit. Uh, we do have a lot of listeners that are obviously in that area. Do you have a date on that or when that's going to be? That's going to be the 27th of uh, October. I'm going to be out there from 2 to 4. Like uh, the 20th of this month, I'm going to be at a date. You know, I do a lot of appearances on myself. Did J.C. Lick in Orland Park right off Harlem. Okay. I'll be there for a couple hours signing autographs on October 20th. So, you know, I make my rounds. Uh, I stay busy. Uh, you know, I, I visit Little League fields. I do speaking events at uh, churches, men's clubs, you know, whatever they can do, uh, if they can tolerate me. And sometimes uh, it's kind of funny when I do my personal stuff and I don't want to do it, I'll throw a, a fee at them that's kind of astronomical. And they usually come back and say, okay, that's okay, Debbie. <laughs> then I got to rearrange my schedule and do it. <laughs> nice. Um, now, I think it's funny you listed all the things that you're doing for the Sox. You left out the thing that looks like it'd be the most fun. I think I read somewhere that you're going to like, you're going to Mexico or something with a couple of ball players, like Daryl Boston, Nicky Delmonico, or so, you got some kind of trip coming up. Do you, have they even told you you're going on it? Because I, I saw your picture on the ad for it in my email. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, uh, December 9th to the 16th, it's called uh, Socks on the Beach. And uh, what is it? Timmy Anderson, Yomer Sanchez, Daryl Boston, Nicky Delmonico, myself, and uh, John Williams from WMAQ. We're going down there to. Uh, you know, we, we have a great time. We stay at an all-inclusive resort seven days, including airfare. I think it was like four, uh, 1049 Uh You can't even stay in your own house and eat and drink for that kind of money for a week. But uh, yeah, we, do, we do some uh, personal appearances. We get some get-togethers down there. Uh, we do some beach drills. Uh, and you know what? It's December 9th to the 16th, and you know there's going to be some sun in Cancun at the Riviera Mayan. So, uh, you know, I kind of help host a little bit, but uh, that's part of the, our sponsorship trip with Apple and the Chicago White Sox, and it's a blast. We just had on last uh, last week uh, Dave Marin. Now, David Marin it works in the scoreboard. He's been in there for over three decades. He's the guy who puts all the trivia up and comes up with everything before the batters come to the plate. So he, he even did that for you several times and I asked him uh, any question like that he'd want to bring up or it was a good question I should ask you that had a story behind it and and this is what he asked he hit Bert Lylevin very well and I think there was a st- he story he told me <clears throat> about um, a booger on a baseball that uh, Bert Lylevin once threw to him can you tell me about that you know uh, the first time I saw Bert Lylevin in 83 we were in Cleveland. We had three seven o'clock games. Well, they changed the times uh, to five o'clock. So we had Burt Blylevin. Uh, oh my God, I'm trying to think who we have. Uh, Len Barker and Rick Sutcliffe. All three of them had the best curveballs in baseball. And if you've been to Old Cleveland Stadium before, which you probably have not, then it's all shadow. So they struck out like 16, 17, and 18 hitters each three games of the White Sox. I mean, you couldn't see a curveball. I mean, you just stood there and really closed your eyes so you didn't get hit in the face. And I told myself, I said, those guys will never get me out again. So uh, I hit home runs off all of them. And uh, Len Barker went to the National League. Rich Sutcliffe went to the National League. Uh, Bly Levin stayed in. And I finished up, I think, with uh, 10 maybe possible home runs against him. But he couldn't get me out after that. And uh, he got traded to the Angels. And uh, 
my first at bat, it was just kind of weird, and I hit a, a opposite field home run against him on a curveball or something. My next at bat, I hit a double the left field. So my third at bat, I had full count, and uh, he, he just backed off the mound. And Bert, you know, he's the personality and the character of anything. I mean, he is, but he's a gamer. Uh, he wound up picking his nose and putting a booger on a ball and going back on the mound. And he pitched me, and I foul-ticked it, and it, the catcher snow-coned the glove, so he struck me out. And uh, all of a sudden, all he said was, uh, he goes, oh, my, he's screaming like he won the World Series. I got him out. I got him out. <laughs> you know, this is during the middle of the game. So my next at bat came back, and he threw me an outside pitch, and I hit a line drive, almost hit him in the head uh, for a single up the middle. But, uh, you know, Bert was one of those guys uh, – deserving of a hall of fame, but uh, he threw a lot of strikes. And, uh, you know, if he didn't strike me out three times in 83, I probably wouldn't have had that vengeance against him. Now, you know, that's a foreign substance on a ball. I, you know, I, I've already seen once during the, uh, during the playoffs just recently, I think it's Kimbrell, but there was a, there was a picture of him and he had something on his hand. I, I know that that happened back in your playing day. That That's an obvious thing. The amount of times you can go, you can go on YouTube and the amount of times I even remember when I was a kid, they would stop play. They'd be out there checking the, the pitcher for something. I'm sure you saw it where people were putting things on balls. Are you shocked that guys still try it now with all the cameras that are out there and all the ways that with technology where you can see every little minutia on the ball, on the, on the ball field? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, uh, they don't need I mean, they're making 10 times, uh, 100 times more of the money than we did, so they could probably afford a penalty or being fined of some sort, but there's no need to cheat. Uh, you know, Gaylord Perry, when he was with Seattle, uh, I batted against him, and he threw a pitch, literally, that I had spit on my glasses. And, uh, you know, they took, <laughs> they asked him for the ball, and he threw it back, and he rifled it over the umpire's head. So it went to the backstop, obviously, it, got dried up, but I literally had a, a spot of spit on my lens of my glasses when he threw the pitch. So, uh, you know, those old tricksters, they did anything they could to get somebody out. And, you know, if you don't get caught, it's a good thing, but uh, you got to play the game uh, square up and uh, have a battle with everybody. I love that. I love that. They, I love that. He's, he's got a ball covered in spit. Your glasses were the, were the only proof you had. Nowadays they would have sat there and they would have taken your glasses. They would have tested it for Gaylord Perry's DNA. DNA. There would have been, there would have been, there would have been <laughs> slow motions in every different direction. They would have called New York for, for a clarification. I mean, this game slows down now with all of these crazy, like really close slow motion plays. Like a guy hits the bag, pops off the bag for half a second in his slide. And it's only visible with this camera, and he can be called out on a replay. You've got to have a thought on that. Well, you know, I tell you, you want the right answer. You want the right call. So I don't mind the replay. Uh, matter of fact, uh, it, it, it's, I think it's kind of good. It's just a long waiting process to do that. But, you know, things are accomplished in every sport by the human error. So sometimes the umpires or the referees or whatever it may be, uh, uh, that mistake will cost the team a game, but that's what life is about. You're at home plate. You know, if you bat four times in a game and you swing at the first pitch, your whole day is over within about 15, 20 seconds. So, you know, but the cameras, I mean, you can't do anything. I mean, you can't even cuss. There's microphones in the dugouts and the stands. Uh, uh, you know, it's kind of fun. Uh, you know what? It's television, it's radio, it's live, and uh, 
people want to know all the little things about the game instead of just going out there and, uh, you know, playing it and watching it and enjoying the sport. But I guarantee you there's a lot of people refrain from cursing a lot on the, on the field because the microphones are so close. Ryan, before we get you out of here, I, I'd love it if you told us a little bit about the what you do with the benches. I know a lot of people have heard about them before, um, but I think it's really cool because every once in a while you make a bench for somebody and, and give it away at the game, and they they look they look gorgeous. But I I never I don't think I hear enough about like how actually they're made and and the time that goes into them and, and how people can actually get their own bench. Well, you know, this this morning uh, I, I uh, launched RunKittleCharities.org. Uh, for my charity event. I just posted it on Facebook a little bit. And it's things that I do over the years, but it happened 30 years ago. I bought a bench from an old 85-year-old guy out of Louisville that made a bat bench with bases on it. And it was just glued and wood screwed. And I spent $750 for it back in uh, the late 70s. So I said, one day I might get a chance to do something like that, make one. So I had a lady... uh, her daughter uh, passed away of breast cancer, and I wound up making a solid pink one with pink bats. I spray painted them, colored them up. It looked really nice, uh, but I made it. I engineered it and made it better. It went for eighteen thousand dollars at an auction because they got some celebrities to autograph it. So that's basically how this all started. Uh, it's eighteen bats, nine baseballs, uh, a couple half-inch rods, a box, custom-made box. But my box is made like fine cabinetry you know i do the best i can on it uh and and i three bases are the seats so material wise it's like twenty five hundred dollars now uh just for the material of the bench so i make them people ask for them uh it's, it's one of those things people ask uh they're too expensive or they tell me they're too expensive like then don't buy it you know i, I can do, <laughs> nice you know i can do i can do 20 hours of something else that i like you know if you don't want one but uh I've made hundreds of them, maybe a thousand, but I do all kind of different designs. Uh, that's my outlet. Since I can't manage and yell at people, uh, I sit in my shop, I build stuff, and uh, and I'm proud of it. So a lot of these things will be auctioned off on my webpage for my charity and my current page that I'm working on right now for my personal items that I make. But uh, I love my shop. I love working with stuff like this and uh creating something and it's got to be done perfect that's that's my that's my get-go you know i completely understand that actually we record the podcast uh in a nine foot bar that i made out of all oak it's my nine foot homemade oak bar my wife was shocked when i started building it because she thought oh yeah you're gonna build a bar in a basement you've never built anything in your life and it's the first time i ever worked on wood ever and it was just like one of those labors of love. And I built this bar in the basement. And then uh, I started just putting the microphones up on top of it. And it, it's really maybe the only podcast studio in the world that's broadcast off of a big giant oak bar in some guy's basement. Uh, but it's it, we, we have a blast doing it. And if you were to ever, in my wildest dreams, Ron, and this would be in my wildest dreams, this would be like one of those things where I would make all the children in my house clean for like three days to make sure it sparkled for you. But if let's say in an alternate universe, you were ever to return to the show and possibly pull up a stool at my nine foot Oak bar. What kind of drink does Ron Kittle kick back with when he's just relaxing and having a good time with friends talking white socks? You know, uh, out in public, I probably don't have drinks at all, but, uh, but I, I prefer a Stella beer. Uh, you know, I, I like just about anything. Uh, I stopped drinking pop a long time ago, so I'm about 85% water. Uh, 
uh, that's pretty bad, but I feel healthier with it. I've always done that, but, uh, you know, there's always a good chance because, you know, I like to surprise people and, you know, getting back to my, uh, my community relations job, I visit people who are huge Sox fans, uh, who are struggling with an illness and I've gone to their house and I've had lunch with them. Uh, you know, my last visit was, uh, up near O'Hare, a gentleman had, uh, uh, real bad cancer in his body, and I come to his house. I knock on the door, and he's laying on the sofa. And I started. I go, "Are you kidding me? I came all this way to visit you, and you're going to lay down?" So he literally sat up. Uh, we I stayed there about a half hour. Uh, his his wife answered the door and asked me who I was. I said I was the air conditioner guy, and she <laughs> took me to the bathroom to work on the air conditioner. <laughs> nice. Uh, Unfortunately, this gentleman passed. He had pancreatic cancer, which is almost uh, inevitable. He's going to pass. But you got to make his quality of life uh, enjoyable for what it is, because cancer uh, affects not just the patient; it affects the entire family and their friends. So, as an ambassador, I do those kind of things, uh, and, and it's touching. And I've met some incredible people over the years doing it. Well. Ron Kittle, uh, first of all, let me say I was a, a huge fan before we had this conversation. I might be a bigger fan now. You just seem to be one of the most uh, upright, uh, honest ball players. Uh, uh, just sacrificing your time and giving to so many different people. It's really amazing to hear all these stories. We we would love to have you on sometime in the future. Uh, maybe we'll bump in you at one of these uh, White Sox events as well. Uh, we we'd we we'd love to talk to you again sometime, but I really appreciate you coming on the show. It was a it was a blast for us. Yeah, thank you, Ron. Again, well, it's my pleasure. And uh, anytime you want to uh, shoot the breeze, you can give me a shout, and uh, we'll get this thing taken care of. And and if I'm in your neighborhood, I just might stop by. That would be oh my wonderful. Gosh. I don't I don't know what I would do with myself. I would be very excited. I I, I thanks. Now now I've run out of things to say, Ron. You've made my day. <laughs> We're going to get off the phone. I'm going to just skip throughout the house. Ron Kittle might show up in my house. Like every time the doorbell well, rings now, I'm going to be like, kids, that could be Ron Kittle. That could be Ron Kittle. <laughs> well, it ain't going to be for a while. You've, you've created, you've, Ron, I got to go get a pound cake now just in case you still show up. I got to keep like stuff around for you. I got to, I got to start looking at your Twitter account, figure out what kind of cigars you actually smoke. Cause I see you smoking them every once in a while. There's lots of work to do. See what you've done now, Ron. Hey. Hey, I have different, I like all kinds of cigars. I like to at least try them once, and uh, once I like them, I stick with them out there. But, uh, you know, one thing about a cigar that I've learned over the years is you can't do anything uh, when you're smoking a cigar. you got to learn how to relax. And I'm not a real good relaxer because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I, I walk in the morning. I, I go to my shop. Uh, I do some things. I come back. I eat some breakfast. uh you know, we lost our dog. I put him down here about six, eight months ago, and uh, he was a huge part of my life because he made me take a break. Uh, if not, I would work 16, 18 hours a day, every single day, seven days a week. But uh, I enjoy doing it. And when I don't enjoy doing something, I don't do it. So, guys, this has been a blast. Uh, we'll do this again, I, guess, I promise, okay? Thank Only you, Thank you, Ron. We appreciate it. You have a good day, okay? All right. You guys be too. Thanks. Bye. Hey, this is Acoustic Mike from Broadcast Basement, and you're listening to Socks in the Basement with Chris and his buddy Dave. I did the Broadcast Basement with Chris for 10 years, and nobody gave me a show. I'd leave if I had anything else to do with my life. 
Remember, the Broadcast Basement is available everywhere podcasts can be found and always at broadcastbasement.com. Everything about that interview was wonderful. Yeah, there was, the mo- there was the moment when he tried to tell me that Tim Anderson's going to be a great shortstop that really hurt just a little hey, bit. Hey, listen, man. Like you, I was you're like, gonna me and Ron to- are at odds over something. Like, I never thought that I'd be at odds with Ron Kittle about anything. And I didn't want to. I was like, if I bring it up now, I'm going to ruin a whole interview by being like, no, yep. Ron, you're very, wrong. Very good restraint. Very I, good I, restraint you saw me. Yes. I had to walk away from the bar. I yep. put my head down. I was like dismayed. I was like, oh, he thinks Tim Anderson's great. You're uh, just going to have to. Yeah. No, it was great. Great interview, though. I mean. You know, very happy to have Ron on the show. I mean, you know, you talked about the memories. I mean, I wasn't at that exact game in April that you were at where he hit the rooftop, but I know that back in 85 at some point I was at a game where, where Kitty hit a rooftop shot. And it was, it, was, it was something to behold, man. It was something. So. He was a beast. And, and, and I, I meant that when I asked the question, do you think that you would if sabermetrics were being used? And if you were playing in this era, if it would have helped your career, you could tell that he he thinks that way. Like, I, I he could have done the diplomatic answer and been like, nah, you know, I mean, my career is my career. You could have heard somebody do You could tell Ron's like, yeah, yeah, if I had what these guys get now and if I was evaluated in the in the honest way to sabermetrics really evaluates a well, player, and, and, I would have, and, and, and if I was able to go on the DL for 10 days when I hurt myself, right? Medically, if yeah. I had done those things, imagine what my career could have been. And you could also hear a little bit of the, you know, I was on these lists, and if you take the steroid users off, I'm way up the list. When you, it bothered him you know, a little bit. When you look at the way everything in baseball is so specialized now, it, you didn't have that back when Ron was playing. I mean, right. right now, like, you know, you only bat Palka against righties, and you only bat Davidson against lefties, and so on and so forth. And, you, you know, you have you have these specialists now, and you have the replays, like you know, like Ron was talking about. I, you, absolutely, that's I mean, a real ball player. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Absolutely, we talked to a real down to earth, grown man ball player who who was like that when he was younger, and and is still like that when he's older. And he's he smokes his cigars, he makes his benches, and if you aggravate Ron Kittle, he'll tell you you suck. I think that's really what I learned from talking to Ron Kittle, and he didn't seem to think that we sucked, which was nice. Because I, as the interview was going on, I realized he's got a temper. I asked the wrong question here. He's going to come to my house and beat me up. So, <laughs> and you're not going to be happy when he shows up at your house badly, this time. Real quickly, yes. if I say something bad about him. But uh, it makes me love him even more. I, it was awesome to have him on. We will be back next week. You know, and keep uh, keeping in mind also that um, if and when White Sox news breaks over the offseason, we're going to keep podcasting over the offseason. Yes. So we're going to keep doing this. So if and when White Sox news breaks, we will be here immediately to talk about oh, it. Oh, gosh. So. We, are, we are set up so well right now that I can literally jump on my cell phone and record something. Like, let's say that you and I like were on a trip for the weekend or we couldn't get together. I was nowhere near the studio. If something breaks, I can do. we can do instant reaction via cell phone directly to the podcast feed. I've got it set up that way. Like, we're ready for when stuff breaks. We will give analysis and our take on it, and then we'll still do the regular show. So we're, we're ready to do it. Thank you very much for joining us for another week in Sacks in the Basement. The show keeps growing. We have run over. we got to get out of here, okay? That was awesome. We'll see you next week from Sacks in the Basement. That's Dave. See ya. I'm Chris. Bye-bye. Another show is wrapped up. Another show's in the books. Another show is wrapped up. And then by the looks, it's going to be a good one. And we'll see you next week. And the nude is basement. And the nude is basement. 
Another show is wrapped up. Another show is wrapped up. Another show is wrapped up. And it's in the books. Another show is wrapped up. Another show is wrapped up. And by the looks, it's gonna be a good one. Nudie's Basement. Broadcast Basement. Lenudie's Basement. The Broad Basement. Slancha. That was like Dropkick Murphys or something, right? I felt like it. Socks in the Basement. <laughs> Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.